0: Let's face it, it's Garrett Cole's world, and we're all just living in it. The $324 million man has led the Yankees to two wins in just four games so far this season. We break down the bizarre 3-1 and start to the season for the Yanks, COVID postponements, and preview the series with the Red Sox this weekend. The post-Joel Sherman debut, Sherman's Hot Corner. And finally, we chat with Baseball Hall of Famer 1996 and 1998 World Series champion with the Yankees, the legend Tim Raines. All that and more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Oh, here's a Pinstripe Pod. New York
1: Post. Oh, you call the Yankees. Pinstripe Pod. pod.
0: Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran. Yes, Nelly is at NYNelly43. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. Joel Sherman and Hall of Famer Tim Range joined the podcast today. But before we get to those gentlemen, we welcome in Jeff Nelson and Nellie. There's that old saying, death taxes. And you could add into that the Yankee bats crushing Baltimore <laughs> Oriole pitching.
2: <laughs> 18 in a row, 18 in a row, they have beaten the Baltimore Orioles. And, it, you know, it's it's funny how and it always seems to happen. Even when you pitch, when I pitched, it always you always had those teams that, oh, my gosh, you, you wanted to come in and say, I got the flu, you, you know, no <laughs> not or I don't feel well, you know, I don't want to pitch against these guys or, you know, even teams. I mean, teams have your numbers. I mean, look at the Minnesota Twins in the playoffs against the Yankees. They can't beat them. Well, the Orioles can't beat the, the Yankees during the regular season. And uh, hopefully that continues tonight as well.
0: So let's just do some house cleaning here. The schedule, as we know, got all mixed up and messed around because of the Marlins having 17 people with the organization test positive for COVID. So the Yankees games against the Phillies, uh, the four straight, the two in Philly, and and the two at home. That the Yankees what was supposed to be the Yankees a home opener on Thursday that got postponed, and now the Yankees will play the Phillies next week. So the Yankees play the Phillies Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and they play the Red Sox this weekend, and they're playing the Orioles now, uh, and they win that first game nine three. They're three and one on the season, and Garrett Cole he he might not have been you know the Garrett Cole the lockdown Garrett Cole maybe in the play- Playoffs where he allows no runs, Nelly, but he still had electric stuff in it. He was able to go through the Orioles lineup like a hot knife through butter
2: he did and in the beginning of the game especially in the first inning it looked like he struggled with his command a little bit I think everybody has to understand with the shortened 2.0 summer camp that they had uh, you're not getting a full spring training even though he looked like he threw in between the first spring training and the second spring training Uh, you face your own guys you really don't face other teams the adrenaline's probably not there you don't want to mess up with your command too much because you don't want to hit your own guys Uh, but in the first inning you know he struggled just a little bit with his breaking ball and his fastball and then he dialed it in You know, this is why the last two starts or his first two starts, this is how dominant this guy is. He doesn't have to have his great stuff to beat teams. And and that's what he's had. And and I think yesterday as the game went on, mechanically, he started doing a little bit different, maybe pausing just a little bit, staying back over the rubber. And and then his command got a lot better. The one thing I would really like to see him do, and, and, you know, some of the most dominant pitchers that I've I've watched and I tried to emulate or I tried to learn from Randy Johnson, you look at Roger Clemens, the one things that they try to do is they try to intimidate the hitters. And you know, they'll show things inside. They're not afraid to come inside to knock guys off and they're not afraid to throw strikes for inside. You know, hitters really never have a comfortable at bat of them against them. What I've been watching over the first two at bats and two starts, and even when he was with Houston and Pittsburgh, he doesn't come inside a whole lot. You know, he throws 97, 98 miles an hour, and he can dot a gnat in the butt on that outside <laughs> part of the plate. He's so good, but he very rarely comes inside. So sometimes you'll get comfortable at bats. I mean, guys go up and say hey I know Cole has great stuff Uh, we kind of try to get him over the plate a little bit more which is awful tough because he does have such great command if he would come inside just a little bit and and come in and knock guys off and even come in for strikes you know he would be even I don't know if if you can be any more dominant but even more dominant and then all of a sudden guys are coming up to the plate saying you know what I I can't be too comfortable with this at bat because I don't know where this ball is going to go and then then at seventh inning he saw him get ambushed a couple times uh, the first pitch fastball for a double and then Smith hits the first pitch fastball." Ball for a home run. But overall, I thought he did a great job. And maybe in that seventh inning, he just got a little tired.
0: 102 pitches, 69 for strikes. And I echo that, you know, he did seem to get tired in the seventh inning, six and two thirds, four hits, three runs, all earned seven strikeouts and two walks. And you talked about his pinpoint control. And uh, you used to share the bullpen with somebody who threw one pitch. And it seemed like Nelly Moe could put it wherever he wanted to put it. And that's what Cole could do with his arsenal of pitches. So when you could bring it 95 plus with your fastball and then you break off a knuckle curve the way he was last night with these Orioles batters it's just not fair
2: no it isn't and you're facing a team that is very young and they have a lot of young hitters a lot of young players a lot of young inexperienced players on that team those players really don't care about oh you know we can't beat the Yankees before last night all 17 in a row and now it's 18 I don't think they really think about that because they just want to try to get up and and have a successful 60 game season but it's nice for Cole you know heck, they've played four games, and he's pitched twice because of the schedule, and when you have that luxury, you have your ace, uh, you know, that's what you use him for, and that's exactly what the Yankees did, and he's able to beat a team that's not experienced, and he has such great stuff. Like I said, he doesn't have have to have his best stuff to be able to beat teams. No, and he didn't have his best stuff
0: last night, but against the Orioles, uh, you really don't need your best stuff. How bad, Jeff, are the Orioles going to be yet again this season?
2: Well, I mean, it's a good thing to do, only play 60 games, and it's going to be a rough season, but again these guys are getting experience I think you chalk up 2020 for for one of those years for some of these teams just to get guys their feet wet you know can, see can, what they yeah, can yeah, do that, and see that's if they can really point. help the team in 2021. Let, let me
0: ask you this can can teams like the Orioles because let's face it they're, they're, they're not going to contend even with the expanded postseason right. here but if you're the organization you have to look at these 60 games if we truly get through these 60 games but you have to look at it as an extended spring training and an extended Look, you have sixty players in the player pool, and and you could really get an in-depth look, Jeff, at all these players that you're gonna want on your team in the future, and and the guys also that you might want to jettison as well.
2: Well, you're hoping some of these guys open some eyes. I mean, I know every organization has their top ten prospects or whatever, and and you know a lot of these guys on the sixty man pool might see some big league time with the Orioles this year, and it's about showing them what you have. And hey, I can be a part of the 2021 season, and let's hope that season's 100. 62 games with fans in the stands. Uh, and that, and that's good for these teams. You know, they have young players. How do they develop? How do they handle the big leagues? How do they handle facing teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays? I mean, they're so much better than the Orioles. But if you go out and show them something, I mean, Camden Yards is a very tough place to pitch anyway. The ball flies. I mean, look at last night with the home runs that the Yankees hit. And with no fans in the stands, it's going to get out even more. Uh, so if they can say, hey, I'm not intimidated by, by this division or by where... I'm on pitching and go out and show them that. I mean, you can really help a team. You can see the Orioles. I mean, I grew up an Orioles fan, and you know, you know, it's it's a shame that they've gone backwards as much as they have. But hey, with some of this young talent, maybe the right teaching, the right coaching, and and them getting their feet wet, they could really contribute, and maybe in the next couple of years, start competing in the AL East.
0: Well, let's talk about this for a second because you you thought the starting pitching might be a concern for the New York Yankees, and we're going to get a nice look, Nelly, after their ace Garrett Cole won for the second time in four games this season the rest of the rotation is going to go at it the next four games Jay Happ will make his debut Thursday and then you have over the weekend Jordan Montgomery Masahiro Tanaka on Saturday and then James Paxton on Sunday against the Red Sox so we're going to see here uh, what the Yankees have truly behind Garrett Cole over this weekend
2: well you're going to see Happ's first start and it'll be interesting to see what he has the adrenaline the days off uh, is he going to be too strong how's his command going to be You know, even Masahiro Tanaka on Friday, you know, after getting hit in the head, he hasn't really faced hitters. So how is he going to react when balls come up the middle? Is he going to be a little bit timid about his location and and his aggressiveness in the strike zone? And then again, Paxton coming off a really bad first start, velocity down. Uh, That's going to be something to watch on Sunday. They're they're playing the Red Sox, and it's going to be a prime time on Sunday night. So will that velocity be there? Will the command be there? Can he go deeper into the game? Uh, That was my main concern is the Yankees starting Rotation. Let's see how this thing pans out. And just like you said, these next three starters are going to be huge in the Yankee. Rotation. Let's see how they handle it.
1: Yeah,
0: everything is magnified. And you brought up a great point with the velocity on Paxton. Everybody's going to be thinking about that when he takes the mound on Sunday night against the Red Sox because of his first start. He only went uh, the one inning. So we'll just have to wait and see and see if Paxton can take another step up on the rung on the ladder. Are there any concerns, Nelly, uh, with you, with Gary Sanchez, Brett Gardner getting off to these cold starts?
2: No, not really. You know, Gardner's such a veteran guy. And, uh, you know, with Andujar, I'm, th- I'm thinking, okay, is on the bench. And I know he's not a solid outfielder. You know, he's a better infielder. doesn't have a lot of experience, if any, in the outfield, but just spring training. Uh, here's a perfect spot if, hey, if you need somebody to hit, you know this guy's going to hit. He needs consistent at-bats. Right now, it's hard for him to get them because you want to have a lefty in the in the lineup because the <laughs> Yankees are so right-handed dominant. And they really don't have that power lefty. You know, maybe Ford. Uh, they need Gardner to try to turn things around. But, you know, he. He's been around a long time, so this might be one of these uh, chances or, or opportunities that Andujar gets to get into the outfield. And, hey, late innings, if you want to have a defensive replacement, put Gardner out there. That's fine. As far as Sanchez, I have no problem. He's going to snap out of it just as long as he doesn't put a lot of pressure on himself. Uh, I don't—I really don't have a concern with him. And, you know, I heard somebody, Chris, say, say something that, you know, and it's a great point that you have to treat each game as three games. You know, every, it's just a third of a season or a little bit more than a third of a season that every game is almost counting as three and every game is so important so you know when you start thinking about your starting pitching oh you know, it's not going so well and oh well you know we lost one game but actually you might have lost three and you look at at bats with uh with Gardner getting into a slump and Sanchez getting into a slump you know it's times three you, you know with that and and that's the stuff that I think you can get concerned about but the Yankee lineup has really been picking everybody up sometimes you can afford guys to go into little slumps and see if they can get out of it when you have the rest of the lineup hitting like they've had been
0: yeah Nellie that's that's a great point, too. Um, Before we hand it off to Joel Sherman for his hot corner and chat with Tim Raines, spoiler alert, let's hear a story from Nelly's past with Nelly's nugget. Yeah, think of the poop emoji once again.
3: Take it oh, away, Well, Nelly. it's funny. I I called it Nelly's nugget, and it literally is about poop nuggets every time. <laughs> so it's like I made the name coincidentally to talk about poop
2: yeah well, i mean the thing of it is is that you know there's feces has been such a big part of baseball especially the yankees i don't know why in my uh, in my time in the bullpen that it could be just nuggets but since the yankees are in baltimore you know this is pretty gross and i'll try to uh not be as explicit as uh as i, I probably should no no should be. please be explicit <laughs> So we were in Baltimore and you know I I think I've told the the sunflower seeds flicking that we used to do and and in Baltimore our bullpen was it's in left center field and we were on the top the Orioles were on the bottom and we used to flick seeds and they were great because you could flick them almost out to the outfield and watch them curve into the stands and then hit hit fans and it was kind of funny because you could see them bounce off of people's head and they had no idea where they're coming from and then every once in a while we would flick them straight ahead and try to get them onto the field while the Orioles Bullpen and the late L. Rod Hendricks, who I knew really well, they would sit up kind of close to the home run fence uh, and they would sit there and watch the game. But every once in a while we would hit him. Well, Greg Zahn who used to is Rick Dempsey, Rick Dempsey's nephew, and played in the big leagues for a while. And, you know, I think his last spot might have been Toronto. Uh, he decided one day after after us flicking seeds, and it was pretty much the whole bullpen. He says, you know what? I'm going to try to uh, you know, we're tired of this, so we're going to play a little practical joke. So he went and we had these mats on our bullpen seats so he took cat litter used cat litter and put it all under our seats so when we sit down it obviously smelled and when we when we picked up the seat there was obviously cat crap everywhere and we're like you gotta be kidding me I'm like all right you know so everybody has rituals you know during the game and you know a lot of it is like okay I'm gonna go and and do the number two in this inning and then I'm ready to pitch well my (laughs) ritual was the same way okay around the fourth fourth inning I was like okay now I gotta go so you know what our bathrooms were back to back. You know, you go down the stairs. Nobody could see see the bathrooms. Uh, you know, from each other's uh, dugout. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, for what they did, I'm gonna get them back. So I went in their bathroom and I took a number two in their sink and <laughs> I I I continued to do some things and put the toilet paper on the mirror. Oh. And it wasn't it wasn't a really it wasn't a really good one. It was actually looked like if you ever seen a cow patty. That's what it looked like. <laughs> So then I went back in my bathroom and, and finished up. Went up to the uh, went up to the bullpen and told the guys. I said I got him back. And I said and they said, "What did you do?" They said, "Well, I told him." And he started cracking up. Well, sure enough, about uh, maybe a half hour later, Elrod Hendricks goes in to use the door, use the bathroom, and you could hear him as soon as he opened. He just says, "Oh, really, 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 oh my!" God. God. And then about an hour later, you see about three or four of the grounds crew in hazmat suits, orange Oreo color hazmat (laughs) suits, go into the bathroom and clean up everything. And I tell you what, I don't know. I, I, I think everyone on our team in our bullpen must have urinated themselves. They were laughing so hard and they never, ever mess with us again. No, it's
0: it's amazing. An upper decker in baseball has has a meaning and an upper decker in, <laughs> in the urban dictionary has the meaning Jeff just said, but it wasn't going to
2: either gain a lot of listeners or lose a lot of <laughs> listeners. After this one. I'm going to talk was... to the powers that be at the New York Post to call this the poop stripe pod very soon. <laughs>
0: Well, when's your birthday, Nelly?
2: Oh, it's in November. All right. Well, we
0: have to change the uh, Zodiac sign for November to feces. Instead Um, of Scorpio? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) We're we're making that official on this podcast. I'm going to go get a tattoo of
2: the emoji with the throw-up on it. That's (laughs) right. You get the poop emoji, too. the poop right next to it.
0: All right. Now let's hear from one of the best insiders in all of baseball, the New York Post, Joel Sherman, as he debuts Sherman's Hot Corner.
3: Well, there's no place to start in baseball in 2020, which is the pandemic season, without talking about the toughest week yet for Major League Baseball. And that had to do with the Miami Marlins being in Philadelphia. And ultimately, 18 of their personnel, 16 of which are players, more than half their roster, came down with COVID-19. Garrett Cole, after his start on Wednesday night, said to reporters, we had nothing to do with Miami and our schedule got wrecked. Indeed, think about what the Yankee situation 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 was. They were supposed to play a home-and-home with Philadelphia. That never happened. They spent two days in Philadelphia. They never played. They were set to go to New York. They never got there. There was a pivot, and suddenly they were going to play two games in Baltimore. Today, prior to the game, the Yankees made four people available to reporters. Those people were their manager, one of their setup guys, one of their first basemen, and of course, their traveling secretary. This is where we are in 2020. Logistics is a big part of it, and being an improv trooper is a big part of things and the yankees are well positioned to do well with improv they have a veteran squad they have a hungry squad and they have a squad built on a lot of leadership and that's going to be key to surviving the season if in fact there's going to be a 60 game season this year it's going to be which teams are able to stay concentrated the whole year serious the whole year stick with the protocols hold each other accountable so far so good for the yankees They have not whined about their situation. They've recognized that you're going to have to ad-lib and audible as this thing goes along. That can't be a one-week thing. The teams that handle change the best are going to do well this season. Obviously, talent always matters. But your ability to adapt to what is going to be a crazy year. The Yankees suddenly are going to play four games against Philadelphia next week. They are going to play four games in Tampa. They suddenly have a doubleheader. By the way, that doubleheader might have two seven inning games. This is going to change on the fly. This is not written in ink, it's in pencil and bring your eraser. So every team better be able to adapt, and so far, so good for the Yankees. On the talent side, obviously, Garrett Cole has started two of their first four games. He has not been sharp, and yet the final numbers have been effective. He's won both of his starts. You wonder what that means going forward for when he locks in and is the $324 million guy. And yet what I want to talk about is not Garrett Cole. Because following Garrett Cole for the first time, we're going to see the other four Yankee starters start games. Jay Happ is following. Jordan Montgomery Masahiro Tanaka and then James Paxton and all of them have big issues this season three of them could be free agents after the year, all but Montgomery. Is half going to be as locked in as he looked in that first spring training? Is Montgomery going to look as good as he looked in both spring training and especially spring training 2.0? I've talked to scouts who think that the guy they've seen recently on film is a guy who could start game two or three of a playoffs. Obviously that's before the rubber hits the road. We're going to have to see if he can hold that throughout. Tanaka, as we know, can start any kind of playoff game, but what is the ramifications of being hit in the head by Giancarlo Stanton's line drive and then Paxton, who did not have his fastball and did not look great after back surgery in his first start. Was that an aberration, or are we looking at a guy who's not going to have his full stuff this year? So as we see this rotation turn for the first time, that's a real interesting moment for the New York Yankees. And I'll say one other thing listening to Garrett Cole, and this is where I'll finish my first hot corner. He has talked consistently every time he's talked to reporters about his relationship with Gary Sanchez. He sounds more like motivational speaker than starting pitcher. I think it is very pre programmed. He wants to try to build up Sanchez's confidence, and Sanchez has done okay on defense. Here's the thing that stands out through the Yankees' first four games of the season, he is over 12 with eight strikeouts. At his greatest, he's going to catch because of his offense. The Yankees need his offense, it's only four games. But it's also only a 60-game season. This cannot be Gary Sanchez, just the guy that Garrett Cole is talking about. What a wonderful job he's doing receiving the ace of the staff. This has been Joel Sherman and my hot corner. All right,
0: former MLB player, uh Hall of Famer Yankee and uh MLB legend. Let's just call it like it is. Tim Raines joins us. You could follow him at Tim 30 on Twitter. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, Rock. Listen, I have to ask you, you you played for 23 seasons, you retired at 42 years of age, and you know, I got I got big hurt in my face pushing this new genic stuff. I gotta know. I mean, I, I gotta know when the rocks uh, uh, workout video and and, and training regimen is coming out, so I could take my forty-seven-year-old body and, and and keep maintaining it the way you did. How did you play so long? What did you do?
1: How did you take care of yourself? Always been athletic. I mean, from from when I was five, you know, I played all sports as I was growing up. When it was football time, I was playing football. When it was basketball time, I was playing basketball. When it was baseball, I was playing baseball. And then during the off time, I was running track. So, you know, it was something I had been, had been doing my, my whole life, well, my whole youth life until graduating from high school. It was something I loved to do as a kid. I mean, I had four brothers, one younger and the rest older, and we were going at it each other the whole time i was just i was i grew up in the athletics my dad played baseball so i mean it was something that uh yeah so we were always in shape it was something that i loved i mean baseball was my second love football was first but uh it was something that i really loved to do and uh i always felt like you know being in shape was the most important thing if you play baseball because it was probably the longest season in professional sports. Uh, I took pride in it. I really did. I mean, I took pride in, 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 in trying to be in shape, and I, I felt like by doing that, it would give me an opportunity to uh, play for a long time, if I was good enough, you know, it, it all worked out. Yeah, you were
2: okay. I mean, you, you had a pretty decent career there, Rocco, but my first uh, recollection of Tim Raines was I was an 18-year-old kid. I got drafted out of high school by the Dodgers, and it was my first spring training, in in Vero Beach and Dodger Town and it was the games were going on and and the young players stayed in the barracks out by the uh, right field line at the stadium and the visiting locker room was right next door so I came out and guess who I see? I see Tim Raines and Andre Dawson Montreal Expos I think you guys had the perms back then and stuff was like dripping down your hair I don't know what the heck Come was on, going now. on now,
1: maybe Andre Andre had the perm, at that time
2: but you guys I, that I, was I the first time and yes. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Tim Reigns and Andre Dawson, man.
1: I, I remember that, too. I mean, I was 19. Again, I was graduated of high school, and I went to the Expos. And it's, it's weird because when I was drafted by the Expos, I didn't know anything about the Expos. And they, they were a new franchise, but I mean, I just, I didn't follow them. I, I knew that they had a team in Daytona, well, their spring training was in Daytona Beach at the time. So I'm from Florida. I lived uh, right outside of Orlando, a town Sanford, called Sanford, Florida. So when we wanted to see baseball games, we went to either Orlando to see the Twins or Daytona Beach to see the Expo. Well, we didn't really go to Daytona Beach, but I remember as a senior in high school, I went to uh, to Daytona to see... Uh, spring training. Actually, I went to see the Twins, but they were playing the Expos in Daytona Beach. So I was there. Senior high school. Dawson was there. Carter was there. And um, I just remember not really going to see them, but actually for my first time seeing Andre Dawson and Carter, and and, and they had a good they had a good young team. Ellis Valentine, Juan CROMARTY, guys like that. And um, never thinking that I was going to get drafted by the Expos. And uh, sure enough, that year, I was drafted by the Expos, and I ended up signing. Lo and behold, three years later, I was called up from A. Dawson Carter, Cromartie, Valentine was still there. And uh, I remember telling this story. Uh, because me and Andre are best friends to, to the day. But um, I remember telling this story when I was. In high school, I asked Dawson for an autograph, and it blew me off. <laughs> he didn't give it to me. But it, 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 it wasn't true, but I tell people that anyway. <laughs> he said, no, you didn't. You know, I didn't go to Dawson. It was funny. And, uh, you know, just remembering, uh, you know, being a 19-year-old kid, being called up in and in the first game I was actually I didn't play, but I mean the first game that I dressed out in was uh, in Chicago at Wrigley, and you're talking about being the nervous kid in the the nervous kid ever in the world going out there. I mean in, in batting practice in the outfield doing batting practice. I couldn't even catch a fly ball. I mean, I was so nervous. I just couldn't – I I couldn't uh, – you know, the ball was hit. I couldn't catch it. I'm like, man, I'm in the big leagues. I can't even catch a fly ball in the out. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, I was just, just so nervous and, and, and so proud of, of uh, being there. Uh, but I got over it. I got over it.
0: Hey, Rock, I got to ask you this, because when you're in high school, you're averaging 10 and a half yards a carry. I-, I believe you had over 100 uh, scholarship offers to go to college to play football. And you mentioned football was your first love. Was it those trips to Orlando and Daytona w- when you saw these teams? Is that what started to, you know, maybe get baseball more uh, front and center for you instead of football? Because you you had a hell of a high school football career.
1: Well, you know, um, even though I say that, baseball was the first Sport I, played. I mean, I was five playing against eight and nine year olds. So I, I skipped, I skip T-ball. But I mean, I had brothers, older brothers that, you know, were playing and, and I wanted to play it, but I wasn't old enough to play. But what happened was there's one team needed a catcher. Nobody wanted to catch. So in order for me to make this team, I said I'll be a catcher if you can, you know, if you let me play. And my dad said it was okay. They let me play. They gave me the they gave me the equipment and put me behind home plate. And that's how it started for me. And uh, that was really the only reason why, you know, I I got a chance to play because you know no one wanted to catch. And I was like, okay, I don't never caught before, but I'll do it. And, And that's pretty much how it started. But but as I got older in football became a sport that I you know, I love football, watch it on television. You know, I was a big old Simpson fan back in those days and cowboy fans. But when football started for me, I was like, This this is exciting, but not it was exciting because of all the fans. You know, as you know in, in, in baseball, you know, league could get, you know, a few parents around and there'd be no, you know, loud cheering or anything like that. Well it is a little bit, but football was like the sport. And, you know, we're talking about Florida, you know, Texas.
0: Florida. It's like a religion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you go to a football game and it's like, you know, you got 13,000 people up in the stands. You When know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got the football. I was like, and nobody's going to catch me. It was little, it was more fun, more exciting, but um, baseball was still something that, you know, uh, I grew up, my dad played, and I grew up watching him play. He was a he was a really good baseball player, but when it came down to making a decision, it was it was an easy decision to make.
2: Well, Rocco, whenever anybody asks me who was your favorite teammate, I always say it's you. You know, both of us had a fortunate you lying, career. you lying. Why are you lying? No, man? no, and this is, <laughs> it is, and this is the reason. You know, we played with a lot of great players. Both, I mean, you twenty three years, I played fifteen, and when you get to be the Yankees, you know, you play with. A lot of Hall of Famers. The one thing I want to know, and one of the reasons why you were my favorite player, is it never seemed like you had a bad day. You smiled all the time, and you laughed all the time. I mean, no matter if you went zero for four, four for four. I remember Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill is so intense, and if he had a bad day, not one person ever went to talk to him. He like you, you treated him like he had the plague. Don't go near Neil O'Neill, near O'Neill. But Rocco did. Rocco would bust his chops all the time if he had a bad day, and now he's about the only one that could go up there. How in the world do you go for twenty three years and and act like you know this is the greatest day of your life?
1: It's funny you say that because, like I said, I grew up so the older brother never really hung out with us. So it was, we were like the three amigos. And we grew up doing pretty much doing our own thing. I mean, you know, we go out in the backyard and we play stickball, play football together and, uh, you know, basketball. So it was always three of us. And we kind of competed against each other from, you know, when we could walk. And uh, it was something that uh, I always enjoyed doing. And then once, you know, we got old enough to start, you know, playing organized sports, uh, it was a lot of fun for us. But uh, I've always felt, you know, baseball was a sport that, you know, you could play for a long time, unlike football. But uh, it was like it was like a playground for me. I mean, I, I enjoyed playing the game. I enjoyed competing. I enjoyed you know putting my skills out there against you know everyone else's, but it was fun for me i mean and, and I think I got that from my dad because you know he he enjoyed playing the game, and I saw that he had fun doing that, so I that that's what I wanted to do but again, you know football kind of changed that, but uh when I started playing baseball, it was like it's 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 a tough game, but it's 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 a really competitive game, and you get to play against guys that are from all over the world. So you get to kind of showcase your skills against theirs. And, and I kind of enjoyed that. For some reason, I just, if you're not having fun playing the game, then I felt like you kind of lose out. I mean, there's a lot of guys who you know, came to play. But like you said, O'Neal, I mean, O'Neal would hit five balls on the nose and get three hits and be upset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm like, dude, what is your problem? I mean, you got guys here scuffling. You know, they, they're lucky to get a hit. You know, they get jammed and flip one over the first base of my head, and that's a hit for them. And they're like pissed off because, or they're not pissed because they got a hit. Paul is like, you know, he has to get a hit every time up. It's like, dude, what do you want to do about a thousand? That's not That's just not going to happen.
0: Talking with Tim Raines, seven-time All-Star, four-time National League Stolen Base Leader and 4 Street Seasons, by the way, and now batting champion, Silver Slugger Award winner and Hall of Famer Rock. How how was it playing with Nelly and and what was the chemistry like? We've heard from Cecil Fielder, we've heard from Charlie Hayes, and they spoke very glowingly of those teams. So we want to get your take as well. What was was it like playing with Nelly and what was the chemistry like on those 96 and 98 championship teams?
1: Playing with Nelly uh, was uh, a lot of fun, really. Uh, Cause you know, you know, I'm five eight. No, I'm five nine. Well, I say 5'5". But I tell, <laughs> I tell people, uh, I tell people that five nine is, you know, I I, I give myself a couple of inches. But really, the sport, that size really didn't matter. And you you know, you look at myself and you look at Nelly, who is six 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 seven. How tall are you, Nelly? Yeah, six six. So I mean, usually I'm the smallest guy on the team. I enjoyed that though. I mean, when I was a kid, I'm gonna tell you when I was a kid, at thirteen I was the biggest kid on my little league team. And there I was thinking, Okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be about six three, six four and always gonna be a big kid. But when I turned thirteen I reached my peak. I mean five eight. When I got to high school I went from being the biggest kid to one of the smallest kids. So I grew up as a big guy from from, from small age, but from from eighteen on, I was probably one of the smallest kids on on the team. So I think that kind of helped me, though. It helped me as 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 a youngster thinking that okay, I'm gonna be big, but ended up being smaller. Even though I was a smaller kid, I I felt comfortable around bigger kids, so I wasn't really, never really got intimidated by playing any sport, regardless of what it was. Even though I was, you know, wasn't as tall as a lot of other kids, that helped me a lot. But you know, being with the Yankees, uh, you know, being around a a, a team that was full of players from all over, really, you know, we had players from all over. The league. You know, we had Cecil, we had Straw came from New York, Cecil came from Detroit, Boggs came from Boston, Tino came from Seattle, O'Neill came from Cincinnati. I mean, we had players. I mean, the only guys that we had that really came up through the Yankee system was Jeter and Posada and a few other guys. Bernie came from the Yankee, came up through the system. So, with being around a bunch of guys who have, have been stars from other teams ended up. Coming together, it was like a Major League All-Star team with the Yankees, man, and we had so much fun. I mean, I don't think I ever had as much fun as the three years. I mean, I played in New York because, I mean, we had a team. We had a great manager. We had great coaches. uh, We had great players. We had great team chemistry. I mean, chemistry we had uh, with those teams. Why none? I mean, playing 23 years, I never had as much fun playing there in New York. And it was great playing with Nelly because, you know, I can rip him. He can rip me back. And, and, and we could do that with all of those players. I mean, those players were great players for our other teams. Now all of a sudden, we're all on one team. It was perfect. It was a perfect setup. And even though we, 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 we lose a guy, we're bringing another guy from another team. Rock, it, it seemed like just you guys just,
0: you were a huge puzzle and, and, and all the pieces fit perfectly.
1: Right, right. Exactly. You know, we rooted for each other. I mean every one of us played every day for another team, as as and all of a sudden now. You know, here I was platooning with strawberry. And when I wasn't playing, I was rooting for those guys and, and then when I was playing there's rooting for me. So I mean it's it's it, it's easy to to, to get in that situation and, and not only have fun with all those guys, but win. And, and and that's the best that's the best that I think you could be as a baseball player to to be around a bunch of guys that you played against. Really hard for so many years, and all of a sudden we're all together and it all worked out.
2: Well, I remember one time, I don't know what celebration it was. It might have been with '96 World Series, I think, because we were home. And uh you talk about him being five nine. I was maybe stretching a little bit, but I was six six. We got in a pile, and next thing you know, Rocco is over my back, and he rips my freaking ear off in in this pile. I'm like, my God, Rocco, you ripped my ear off! But uh but you're right. I mean, the team chemistry, and, and not just on the field. You know, with the many as as many reporters as we had. Covering thirty-five, forty 35 40 guys you know we would have 15 to 16 guys at the end of the night being in the same place and, and just and all laughing just like we did on the field
1: and, and you know that's important I think before then I mean the Yankees you know had great players come through there but they they, they couldn't win so you I mean you had a bunch of superstars on those Yankee teams before we got there in 96 that uh, were great players but they never they never could could get over the hump and it just so happened, starting in 96, that team we put together was just so uh, together. I mean, even though we came from different teams, everybody got there. Joe Torrey was the head of everything. But for me, the greatest manager I played for. I mean, and it was his kind of, it was his first year. Jeter rookie season, you know, I think Jeter was kind of the glue even though he was the youngest player and the newest player to all of that because he came in from day one and got going his first game that year ended up getting like four or five hits and uh, just took off from there it was it was kind of ironic uh, one of the youngest players on the team kind of was kind of the glue even though he didn't know it at the time was kind of glued together for all of those those scratching players to kind of kind of have a great season
0: all right, I, I mentioned puzzle pieces here, Rock. So I'm going to bring it back to the puzzle pieces. Now we've had Charlie Hayes on the show, we've had Cecil Fielder on the show, and you are the last puzzle piece to put together in this Brian Bowringer serial killer story puzzle. So we we got their thoughts. Now we got to get your thoughts. I, I mean, we had Bo on too, and and Bo laughed it off. He was fine, but. What was that all about? <laughs> and it was especially when you guys were in the back of the bus, just ragging on everybody.
1: Bo was kind of quiet too, though. I mean, Bo, uh, you know, he was, he was. He was tall too. Like all of our pitchers were six five and taller for some reason. It was always interesting with Bo because he was kind of quiet. He hung out with us, but really didn't say much, you know. Because I guess we never gave him an opportunity to say anything. I think it, it was kind really of weird because at first I didn't really know Bo Ringer that well. But I mean, like 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 Nelly said, I would I would I had fun with everybody. It didn't really matter whether if you were quiet or not, you know. I was going to say something or get you to say something one way or another. But Bo Ringer was was. Was different, you know. I don't know if anyone really knew him, knew him that well. But you egged now, everything on, just... Rocco.
2: You egged everything on. You egged Big Daddy and especially Charlie yeah. Hayes. You had him scared half to death.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you you were the, the soup thing. spoon.
1: But that was the thing. He never said anything. And he'd always have a book. He always have a book back in in the back of the bus, and he'd be he'd be reading these books, and I was like, dang, this dude, this dude never really says anything, and he's always reading books. And uh, and you know, just so happened one day I went back and I was, uh, I, I, I said, what are you reading? <laughs> he was reading one of those. I was like, oh my god! We knew he wasn't a serial killer, but he he had
0: <laughs> he had the traits. <laughs> you could <Right>. say it.
1: <laughs> you exactly. didn't turn he your back. You, you did like, not turn your back on him. Right? I'm like, I don't I don't know about this dude. I mean, he never says <laughs> anything, and he reads. He reads all these books. I'm like, we're gonna have to keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so much fun though. It was just so much fun. I mean like I said, we had guys from all over, uh, different personalities and uh it it, it worked. I mean, it fit. Like you said, like a puzzle. I mean, and every every piece was a different piece, but it all mixed together for a, a world championship type team.
0: Yeah, it's tough to get those twenty five pieces to fit, but you all had a great manager too, and Joe Torre to put everything together. And twenty five personalities and and those championships. You you enjoyed two of them, Rock. And uh, it was such a pleasure to have uh, you on the podcast, Baseball Hall of Famer, Class of 2017. By the way, happy anniversary. It's the third anniversary of you getting inducted. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, and, and, and y'all better keep an eye on Nelly, man. He he might seem like a really cool dude, but, man, he got some issues too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the warning, Rock. <laughs> thanks, Rock. <Ronnie>. All right. <laughs>
0: That's a wrap for Sweet Lou, episode number 14 of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown, as always, for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars on Apple and write a nice review, if you please. For Yankees, great Jeff Nelson. I'm Chris Sheeran. We will be back on Monday recapping the Yankees three-game set with the Red Sox and the Bronx and we look ahead to the rescheduled games against the Phillies. Talk to you all Monday, and remember, stay safe, folks.